Izzy. Yeah, babes? I think we should record our conversations. I think some people might find them funny and enlightening. What, like how zombie capitalism is turning us all into consumeristic drones and the patriarchy is eroding our will to live? Yeah. And how many times is too many times to use dry shampoo? So if you want a podcast about hard-hitting issues, with occasional reference to Donatella Versace, pregnancy and motherhood, is it still acceptable to wear leopard print kitten heels now that Theresa May has ruined them, defeating the patriarchy, and is there anything that coconut oil can't do? If any of these or all of these appeal to you, you're in the right place. This is Sistrionics. treating you so far well 2018 is two weeks in yeah and i reckon 2018 is turning out to be quite rosy for me i start 2018 as a married woman my very (gasps) first year as a married woman wow i've been married for all of uh five weeks now just the magic gone (laughs) (laughs) so it's like really really letting myself go (laughs) i'm actually packing on the pounds right now yeah (laughs) But twenty and I, I've enjoyed twenty eighteen so far. I think I think I've probably had more more good days than bad. Um well, that's always something to live by in the first, in the first two weeks. In the first two weeks. I really enjoy I love the first week of a year. I love it. And I love <laughs> because I'm like, no one expects anything. Like you don't I mean, I don't have a high high powered job, you know, no one's kind of really expecting anything. And I just feel like, you know, you've not really failed at anything yet. And then it gets to the seventh and I'm like, oh god. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere, but I I've enjoyed it and I've kept I've kept those feelings at bay. I like I like New Year's resolutions and I like to have resolutions constantly, so like hourly ones. What is what is your New Year's resolution for 2018? Um, there've already been so many, <laughs> so many broken dreams. Um, to uh probably they 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 are usually the same. They're usually the same of just kind of trying to stay positive, trying not to beat myself up. Um, trying to be good to the world, trying to give out, you know, love and uh, cakes. <laughs> and, to, uh, and to defeat the patriarchy. Defeat the patriarchy. Every every day, every day. That's an everyday um, uh, resolution. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, and t- 2018, we will both turn 30 in 2018. Yeah, we're both going to turn 30. How do you feel about that? Mm, I feel really good about it because I think actually being a 30 year old mother sounds better than being a 29 year old mother I don't know I'm still I think I still have like an insecurity about being so young and having a baby I know that I'm not that young I know I'm not that young (laughs) but I feel very young I feel like you know when you're in your 20s like you should be Everyone's like, oh, in my 20s, like I just went wild and I did this and I'm like, yeah, well, I got to the end and then got knocked up. up yeah kind of thing so yeah I'm I'm looking forward to it because yeah. I think being married and having a kid when you're 30 is totally acceptable well I I feel like I feel like I'm getting into my stride <laughs> in life and I do feel like even up to 26 I didn't know what the hell I was doing like and and now I, I do feel like oh no yeah that's fine I do 
I do, I am vain. Um, and uh, I do <laughs> worry about gravity. Um, but I do, but I am genuinely quite, yeah, I feel, I feel all right about it. I, I don't think I will when I get there. <laughs> I might change. Um, but um, 2018, yeah, it will also be the year that your, your, your child throughout his life you will write 2018. When you I, take him to the doctor, mm-hmm. when you write his, his date of birth, you will be writing 2018. That mm-hmm. will be the year that he came into the world. I kind of love that. Yeah, Because nice. I was born in 1988. There you go. Nice, yeah. rounded. Nicely rounded nice round. off. Um, but I'm excited also that we also birth this podcast. Mm-hmm. Another birth. Which will be discussions that we have that will be hopefully interesting and hopefully amusing and and worthwhile and hopefully dismantling the patriarchy again sorry i forgot yeah <laughs> <laughs> i already I failed minute by minute minute by minute um yeah it's okay yeah with a mix of highbrow lowbrow i feel like i'm gonna be the killjoy a lot okay. of the time and just mention the patriarchy as many times as i can in a podcast yes because then we recognise its existence. Yeah, fine. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with it. Um, I might, um, yeah. So, in your estimation, what is the biggest story of the moment, and what do we, what do we want to talk about? Well, elephant in the room. <laughs> Let's start off. Elephant, thankfully, not in the room. Elephant, thankfully, not in the room. In Jeez. his bathroom. Oh God. Um is definitely the Me Too story. Um, and it's very big and it's very exhausting, I'm finding. Very necessary still. Um, but at the same time, um, yeah, difficult because it is difficult. It's not an easy thing. And what, I, what I'm what i finding, uh, if I'll just dive right in. What I'm finding is that... Um, in this world that we live in of constant, very, very quick news cycles, I think we expect that things will be finished quite quickly mm. and that this should this should have been sorted now. And I do think that people possibly miss, um, kind of think that maybe when they've heard about something, then it's been dealt with. Just because you've heard about it and you've acknowledged it, then you've dealt with it. And that's fundamentally not the case. It takes a lot more action than that. And two really address and recognize the fundamental thing that we're trying to change which is a patriarchal system where power is abused and quite often sex is used along with it and sexual abuse goes with it that that's been going on for our entire civilization and we don't know any different Mm. so breaking that down will take more than six months i think a lot of women probably are feeling at the same time like why is this so intense? And I think it's because you're not screaming into a chasm. You're not screaming to a vacuum where there is no repercussions at all. You're actually screaming into a a place where stuff is happening. And that is so exciting and so rewarding and so relieving. And just it just makes you frustrated for all the times that you weren't listened to and it makes you frustrated for all the times that there was this scream into the chasm and nothing happened and you know when I read now in the newspaper about this taxi driver who has assaulted possibly as many as 100 women being let out 
on parole after eight years of serving a sentence that was undefined when he was sentenced eight years ago and they said minimum eight years and he's been let out now after eight years this is John Warboys not sure if you're following the story in the UK you know when I read that I think bloody hell this is not about Harvey Weinstein this is not about Hollywood this is about everything this is about the criminal justice system and how it doesn't take domestic violence seriously this is about the criminal justice system and how it doesn't take rape seriously this is about you know every single level in our society that is governed by men which is all of them and how they don't take women seriously and they definitely don't take the abuse of women seriously but I do think I what I've been thinking about it as well is that they weren't listening they weren't and there has been like a seismic shift and it's like what what is it what is it that's been like oh now now you're listening and and I wonder if this was also waiting for the maturity of the internet to happen I wonder if you if you know when we talk about screaming into the chasm I I've been I've been trying to think about what this is and like you know what is this fundamentally what is this me too thing fundamentally and I think it's a shift of the shame that comes with sexual abuse and sexual assault because the really horrible, nasty, shameful things that occur and the fe- the emotions that come up with those experiences, you don't talk about. And you don't talk about, you know, it, it's not, you, you don't. Because you don't know how other people will react. And usually they have to be quite extreme or very much defined by a legal code in order for people to bring them to the fore and then recognize, yes, for example, I experienced this or I was raped, et cetera, et cetera. And I've been to this group and, and I've shared it and that kind of thing. But these, all these different experiences, they are, they atomize us and they make us very kind of like, well, I'm, I'm really, I just don't want to talk about that. I just don't want to talk about that. And then finally, and in that sense, you, you embody the shame, you take on that shame and the person who inflicted this upon you carries on with their day, like, you know, doesn't doesn't have to worry about it and carries on doing it to other people, perhaps. And this has been a fundamental shift of that shame, whereas you can talk about it and people can 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 go and 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 scream and get a reply rather mm-hmm. than it just being out into the chasm. And I wonder if that is because of our access to the internet, which is also such a horrible place. <laughs> And is also, you know, and maybe we'll come to this, is also can also be the downfall of a movement as well. Um, but I, I wonder if I wonder if, if your thoughts about screaming into the chasm are do you think it's because of the fact that we can talk to each other so much so much more easily now and say, that guy's a prick? Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's a number of things. I think that has come partly from the internet, partly from um over the last 10 years this kind of like third wave feminism fourth wave feminism whichever wave of feminism we're in now this sense of growing solidarity between women rather than competition between women and that solidarity is really starting to to galvanize and i think a lot of the the movements for instance for um representation of minorities in uh, the feminist movement has definitely galvanized that sense of solidarity Um, So people having to look out of their own experience and work with women who or or sort of, you know, empathise with women who haven't had the same experiences with them. That has led to a sense of solidarity. And I think that that has also led to us having much more of a sense of believing those women and taking them seriously as women ourselves. And once we work together as a body and we really 
want things to change as a body, I think that's what we're feeling right now. I think that's what we're feeling because if you if you notice like the the attention is on the men and that has never happened before. And I think that's why it's so clever, right? Isn't that that was that was the ultimate trick? Was the the ultimate trick was that you know, um, oh Jesus, I think I might be about to quote <laughs> from a film in which Kevin Spacey says this thing. Oh, <laughs> Is what's that? Um, maybe I'll we'll maybe edit this out. There's a quote which is like the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that he didn't exist, mm. and it's a really good quote. And that is a really uh, it's good a really quote. good quote. I don't think Kevin Spacey wrote it, so I think we can use it. And listen, oh, yeah, he said loads of really great stuff in he, movies. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, well, well, so yeah, that's and that's the greatest trick, and that's why it was so important that we never got together, <laughs> and it was so important that we didn't um, bring this out because it's such a shit show mm. and it intersects every part of society and using that word again because I think it should be it's, an, it's just a colossally important word is intersectional because I think we do we are learning how to do that from from different movements throughout the world yeah. from and I think that's so crucial mm-hmm. is just is is that we do know how to do that quite innately mm-hmm. we do know how to pass the mic um and and that's so crucial and i i hopefully i do think what that's what's going to save the left and that's what what i mean are we are we just aligning ourselves i guess i guess we're just doing it aren't we actually i don't know if you got this impression but i am like firmly on the right <laughs> but you know like that's what's that's what's going to save the left because and it has to be it, and again and again this this comes to people's understanding of 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 gender not necessarily you know whether m- women are and or men are involved in a movement but we need to take on a more feminine attitude mm. and that and that's that's men and women yeah. um because men are big victims of the patriarchy as well um so so it's like yeah it, uh, it's it's the intersectionalness is is so important and and again, that's that's why I think it was such a big thing because it just went through everything, and it was you know it's just too big of a mess to clear mm. up. And that's and we we've been socialised to not make mess, to clean up mess. Mm-hmm. So don't be making mess. Do you think it has the momentum to last as a movement, and do you think that things will change? I think it does have the momentum. But at the same time, not to go into too much detail, but for example, you have these shades of grey. And the problem is with things like this is that quite often it's just black and white. And I get really frustrated with the presumption that feminists don't see the nuances of some of these cases, for example, when you're looking at the case of, for example, Aziz Ansari and the conversations that are brought forward about consent and what warrants sexual assault we know the difference between that and Harvey Weinstein. And we know the difference between that and Kevin Spacey. And we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And it's not a witch hunt. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I, I'm always just like, well, there weren't witches. <laughs> Were there? Uh, but there are sexual predators. The, the, the thing that I love the most about the witch hunt thing is that uh, the witch hunt was... Um, a social movement that predominantly affected women (laughs) that was a stigmatization of essentially knowledge amongst women 
uh, one of the biggest groups of people to be affected by witch hunts throughout the medieval and uh, you know Renaissance period and all the way up until the Enlightenment were midwives, yeah. women who had knowledge about something that men didn't. So the idea of transposing an es- essentially a uh, murderous campaign against women who had knowledge by predominantly men who were accusing them of this witchcraft, like transposing that now onto the modern day and saying, this is a witch hunt. (laughs) You know, it's like, no, we're just calling you out. You're the same people. It's the same people who would have put me on a fucking bonfire 500 years ago. You're getting called out now. And you're saying that it's a witch hunt against you. It's not. We're just saying no to the people putting us on the burning pyre. It's a big kick in the tits. <laughs> and I and it, what's what I think is funny is who was the was it the CEO of Tesco um, recently who no maybe not even recently maybe it was in the last year um, said oh well, the white man is now a, is now a dying breed as a CEO and it's like right, wow right, okay. and and it's like we know that that is fundamentally not true. We know that that's not true. And if you look at the reshuffle in Westminster, you look at the photograph of them round that table, we know that that's not true. They're there and they're still very powerful. And the fact that, you know, pushing back to get 10% going from, we want more than 10% representation, we want 30%. That's too much. <laughs> you, like, you know, you want too much. It's crazy. Can you can you imagine how they would feel about fifty percent representation? Good God. I mean, the well, fa- then we'll be in. They'll then then they'll just pull the plug and it'll be Gilead. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> and then it'll be our fault because we wanted too much. We asked for it. So, yes, I did. I did watch the Golden Globes. Um, And I didn't actually watch the Golden Globes for the Golden Globes. I watched the Golden Globes because there was quite a lot of publicity around the fact Mm -hmm. that this was going to be a night uh, for the Me Too campaign to remember. And it did not disappoint. Uh, Yeah, so I guess one of the highlights was the Oprah speech. I think the thing that stood out to me the most when I was watching that speech was when the camera panned out to the audience and you just saw the faces <laughs> of these of these women and many of them were black or people from minority background activists who had been brought there by the the women um, of who were, who were at the Golden Globes and wanted to have that representation of the activist movement inside that room. And you just saw these women doing something that I have never seen before. Not just in award ceremonies, but just sort of so generally speaking with high profile women in groups, in auditoriums. Like you just don't see it. Um, because what I saw was solidarity. You know, when you looked in the faces of those women, the thing that you knew they were thinking was, I am with you. I'm with you, I'm with every single other woman 
here because this is something that we have known about for so long. This is something that most of us have endured. This is something that most of us have the fear of enduring on an almost constant basis. And this is something that we want to stop. And you got that sense of like this collective electricity between these women. You know, they weren't competing against each other for awards and you don't get the fake hand clap like oh well done like congratulations like I love you that's so great of you that you won this award that I think I deserved better than Mm -hmm. you um it was more the the in-between yeah like this sense of like there is real solidarity in between and that was uh I think amazing to see and it, it does take someone like Oprah I think to sort of generate that uh what do you think about this idea of Oprah for president 2020 yeah i am um, i i well anything's better and and I, I, I that sounds really disparaging of oprah i think oprah would make an excellent president mm. i do hold on to the fact that barack obama was a professor of constitutional law mm. yeah i mean i think the thing that i found about it i find it i find it an incredibly cynical thing to actually advocate for someone like oprah mm-hmm. as president because i think um I think it's admitting defeat. I think it's admitting defeat of uh, politics in general. And I am an intensely political person and I'm very involved in politics and I have faith that politics can come up with answers to the biggest problems that we have in our society. When done right, democracies can flourish on disagreement between many different bodies who ultimately want the same thing, which is to better that society and to better the economy and to better the lives of the vast majority of the people living in that. And politics can be a really stimulating and amazing arena in which to do that. When you take the politicians and when you take also trained professionals and law professors and the people who have traditionally gone into the roles of politics for very good reason... Right? I mean, I know that we have like a real problem with the vast majority of those people being white and being male and being heterosexual. Um, but at the same time, they have gone into that career for a very good reason a, a lot of the time. And I have a big problem with career politicians who've never done anything else with their lives. And I also have a big problem with celebrity politicians. Like this idea that you need someone who can just speak well and is nice visually speaking and i'm sure has brilliant ideas but oprah is not someone aware of the intricacies of office so why would you advocate that and so i find this whole idea of oprah for president or any kind of celebrity for president a very cynical one and one that uh that i think is giving up on politics and um and I don't want to give up on politics just yet. I think, actually, we're entering to the most exciting time that we've seen in our entire lifetimes. So, yeah, bring it. Like, yeah. Bring it on. I, I fe- yeah, I feel it. I feel it. And I feel like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready, bitch. Bring on 2018. We're ready. Um, bring on... I was scared of you 2017, but I'm excited to see you 2018. Yeah. I thought you were saying scared of me. <laughs> scared of you too, baby. Good. <laughs> well, good. That's why I like it. Um, let's, let's crack out this cake. Crack out the cake. Let's get this cake. So, so we're going to have a little bit of cake because we can. And uh, it doesn't mean that you can't have cake as you listen. In fact, I actively encourage you to have cake if you are, if you are listening, listener. This is 
What do we call this? This is this was just an apple cake with a um with like a caramel topping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, lots of apple. And yeah, the caramel topping I made by melting what I've discovered I think is the German equivalent of Werther's Originals, mm-hmm. which are the Kuh bonbons. Cool bonbons. Cool bonbon. Bonbons from cows. Mm. So um so yeah, pretty nice. But um Thank you, cows. Thank you, thank you, cows. We love you, cows. Um so Izzy, what's new in you this week? <laughs> what's new in me? Mm, apart from this cake. Mm. Oh, I am pleased with that. That's nice. Oh, so I just wanted to just talk a little bit more about this cake because the oh, okay. the sponge Oh it is moist. Is moist. <laughs> Good mm. lord, good lord. And it just, oh, it just fits perfectly around these delicious little tiny nuggets mm. of, of um, apple. I think it's the, the apple that's get. made it like, mm-hmm. um, oh, it was wonderful. Made it moist. Absolutely wonderful. Um, What's new in me? I am in my 28th week of pregnancy. 28 weeks. <laughs> so what's new in me is that I have grown... Uh, a big amount, actually. I'm now very much a pregnant woman mm. walking down the street. Um, and I've started to uh, see people react to this <laughs> in different ways <laughs> on, for instance, the U-Bahn, mm-hmm. our public transport here in Berlin. Um, I'm getting to the stage where people are getting up for me. Um, As they should. Well, yes, this is it. So uh, I am actually at a stage in my pregnancy where it feels better to stand than sit. Oh, really? Yeah, because when you sit, you you cramp up some stuff and then you get up again and you feel this this weird sense of um, numbness okay. a little bit in mm-hmm. different places. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure what, what that's about. Maybe it's about like blood circulation. I really have no idea. But then it takes a, a couple of seconds to get normal again mm-hmm. and to feel comfortable again. So actually standing is, is better. Moving around, for instance, is just always so much better than sitting down or lying down because mm-hmm. also he goes to sleep. You know, yeah. if I'm lying down, Jesus Christ, he he goes crazy. Oh. I think it's because there's a lot more space when you lie down. So oh, they start moving. Swimming, like, kind of swimming. Thing. Swimming and swimming and swimming. <laughs> Before I'm going to sleep nowadays, it's a good 20 minutes of acrobatics oh. inside my belly and then... I just I think I either fall asleep or he stops. Yeah. Um so yeah, I do actually prefer standing mm-hmm. even. So you have awkward kind of like Well, no, I always sit. If right. someone oh, if someone nice. gets up, I will always sit because I think if you don't, then there's a possibility that that person might be uh dissuaded from doing it again in the future and actually for a lot of pregnant women, getting a seat on the U-Bahn is a really nice thing. This sounds like a lot of emotional labour for you to be eking out there. <laughs> that's that's like that's such a nice thing that like. Well, I think you just you you're do sacrificing feel... your comfort. Mm. <laughs> so I do feel like a great sense of solidarity with other pregnant women, and I think if 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 pregnant women just have this thing of just like refusing mm. to sit down because they feel proud or they feel this that and the other. There are other pregnant women who actually really just want to see and really just want to chill out a little bit with the U-Bahn. You know, they're not going to get their juice and they're not going to get it. And it might get to a stage where I'm, you know, big enough that it really does start mm-hmm. making a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I also want to have not dissuaded anyone in the protest. Fair dues. Do you ever see other pregnant women and like, yo! <laughs> <laughs> I'm... I've, 
I've started to do that thing where I point at their belly. <laughs> point at my belly. Let's get them married. <laughs> and I see women react to me in like a variety of different ways. I was in the toilet the other day and a woman was just, she was just trying to wash her hands in peace. <laughs> and I was like, babe. <laughs> Brendan, <laughs> me too. <laughs> Look, <laughs> and you know I was like pointing her belly, pointing my belly, and she had this amazing pair of pregnancy tr- um, dungarees on, and I was like, babe, where did you get where those? did you get those? And she was, you know, she was backing out, you know, like shoulders <laughs> sort of moving away <laughs> from the crazy pregnant lady in the toilet who wants to make a shitload of conversation, like perhaps make new mummy friends, you know. She wants to back away, so she's like, oh, uh, you can get them on ASOS. Um, get them in a big size because uh, mine are already starting to expand. Um, and I was like, oh, so how many months have you? <sighs> um, I'm nine months at this point. Oh, you're about to pop then, are you? When's the due date? And she was like, oh, it's a couple of weeks. And I was like, oh, you're doing well, you're doing well. You know, really starting, I'm trying to keep the conversation going. This woman's just like, I want to get back to my table. Leave me alone. So yeah, that was like a slightly creepy yeah. version. But I, I have, yeah, I have, I've started to point at Belly's yeah. point to my own. Yeah. And no one's ever done it to me. So maybe this is not proper pregnancy etiquette. <laughs> And you're just supposed to sort of act like you're just normal. not pregnant. Yeah. Or well, not, not normal. <laughs> not that it's not normal. It's the most normal thing. To the point, pregnant. And then <laughs> it's like, you're pregnant. Me <laughs> pregnant, pregnant too. <laughs> That's funny. So that concludes our very first episode of 2018. And our very first episode ever. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in due course with another instalment of us waxing lyrical about everything from mascara to Margaret Atwood. This has been Sistrionics. Sistrionics.